Marini's Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, round four of the Premier League season. Treats like Oli against Jose and Pep against Marcelo as Man United take on Spurs and Leeds Man City. There's Carabao Cup news. Chelsea knocked out by Spurs. 45 minutes keeping it tight at the back. Then it all went down the pan. Or was that just Eric Dyer? We talk transfers, football solidarity and even do a little flip reversing. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, 1st of October. And hello you, listener. You're joining us here on the Totally Football Show in the company of Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Of Opta Joe fame. Carl Anker of Talk of the Devil hosting duties. Hi, Carl. Hi, James. Hello. And also Tom Williams of Tom Williams. Hello, James. Hey, Sam's in early with a tweet today. Sam says, uh, has anyone ever had the presenting stroke journalism equivalent of the Eric Dyers? There was one episode of Talk of the Devils quite recently where I had to very quickly ask a question, put my microphone on mute, and then uh, ran off to the toilet before anyone noticed. I think I got away with it. Wow. Tom? <laughs> yeah, back in the day, I was doing my first shift um, at Radio France. Uh, Sorry, uh, did you say shift? <laughs> I, 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 did say, I did say shift. Uh, my first shift at a company called uh, Radio France International in Paris um, and had a bit of a, a, a run situation, um, which was complicated. It's hard to sort of like finesse that. It, it, it bananas. Was, it was what it was, shall we say. Right, bananas. I know because I had a professional experience where I had to, and it's bananas. You eat them just to clarify what you, you know, how they help. What, is it, and is that is that the solution? Apparently, right? Yeah, wow. game changer. Yeah, bananas. Avoid olive oil. Don't make that mistake. Anyway, Eric Dyer just one of the big, big stories of what's been a busy week on and off the field. Of course, League Cup last sixteen matches, three of which are still to come this evening. We've got Brentford, Fulham, Villa, Stoke, and Liverpool Arsenal awaiting us on this Thursday. But already through to the quarterfinals, Manchester City, Man United, Everton, Newcastle, just they needed penalties against Newport County, as did Spurs against Chelsea. Guys, did you watch any and what can you tell us about it? Duncan. Uh, I watched Spurs Chelsea, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was a, a classic game of two halves. Really, Chelsea looked pretty good first half, and then it's strange with Tottenham now because having seen all or nothing, you can now envisage Mourinho at half time, sort of saying, you know, you know, the guys show balls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Friendship they, is important. Friendship is important, you know. Um, and yeah, to be fair, Tottenham they were better second half um, but as as described the Eric Dyer incident um, that's now the second domestic cup game in a row he's left the pitch in, in an unusual fashion because obviously the last one was Norwich and he he was climbing up the stands to confront a fan so um, I mean I think my favourite bit from this week was was Mourinho following him in I mean I don't know what mm. was 
that would put a lot of pressure in an already kind of stressful situation. Having Marino banging on the door, going Eric. Um, and he said, he said, I went in there to put some pressure on him. It's like has Mourinho never taken a dump before? But well, it would explain a lot if he hadn't. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, in other League Cup news, Carl, Man United were better, weren't they? They were. That was relatively pain-free compared to the absolute chaos that was uh, the previous game against Brighton. I said before, League Cup games sort of feel like when you're listening to a team's greatest hits album. So all the recognisable beats are there, but they're devoid of proper context and there's next to no flow between each move. So you're like, okay, all right, they're doing the whole counter-attacking thing. Oop, oh, no, we're doing the bad defending thing. Oop, no, we're doing the whole goalkeeper swearing at your centre-backs constantly. You think, oh, here we go. We're doing the, oh, quite a nice, lovely thing again. And that was Manchester <laughs> United. You had the new band member as well in goal. Yes, Dean Henderson, who was very vocal. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed on television, but after Manchester United went 3-0 up, he was uh, screaming at his back line, 3-0 minimum, 3-0 minimum. Um, Duncan, you have did a tweet before he returned to Manchester United talking about how he might be an odd stylistic fit regarding short goal kicks. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a gobby one. Thank you, Chris Wilder. It's about time there was more gobby people in the back line of Manchester United. Nice, nice. All right, well, we'll talk more about Man United, Pogba's wonderful free kick. Maybe we'll touch on Dominic Calvert-Lewin's hat-trick in the League Cup against uh, West Ham. for one win there for Carlo Ancelotti's side, who've now won all six of their opening fixtures. Boom. We'll probably touch on whether there's to be changes from Pogmol uh, to the handball uh, ruling. But also, uh, in the course of the last few days, there's been a lot more transfer activity. Ruben Diaz, for example, uh, going for £62 million, uh, to Manchester City, who's spending under Pep Guardiola on defenders. Uh, is now at 415 million, which is why they're keeping so many clean sheets. He's apparently a gobby fellow himself, so that should work well. I can't imagine that a, a player will have ever made a more high-pressure debut than Ruben Diaz will when he first comes into the City team. It's like, we've just lost 5-2 at home. Uh, it was our manager's uh, heaviest ever defeat in terms of goals conceded. It was the first time we'd conceded that number of goals on this pitch. Um, no pressure, but we'd like you to basically fix all of that uh, and also replace our beloved and emblematic former captain, who we basically didn't get round to replacing previously. Um, so, yeah, good luck with that, Ruben. City facing the might of Leeds, as we'll touch on later on. That uh, Ruben Diaz move brings the total spending by England's top flight clubs since the window opened to over a billion pounds. Uh, and there could be, you know, men say there's more on the way because the transfer window closes on Monday. Of course, a lot of people are saying if you can spend all that on shiny new players when you've already got loads, how about digging into your pockets for some of the clubs that are struggling down at the bottom end where they don't have massive TV revenue, where the gate revenue is not coming in? Uh, Colin Miller, for example, saying fans of Bury and Macclesfield have been robbed of their clubs, community institutions with over 100 years of history, would have been saved by just one week of Gareth Bale's wages. Do you feel that this is kind of a false equivalent saying, well, you've spent on that, therefore you should help out the other leagues? Do you take the Sean Dyche approach of saying hedge fund managers don't help each other? Why should we? Uh, what do you think it would be the right thing? What do you think might happen uh, from the Premier League and, and, and the, the teams in need? I'd like to see what the German teams did. So partly through the summer, a number of the German teams, uh, particularly those of Champions League football, basically came to an agreement 
uh, and said, you know, agreed to to give some money. It wasn't a particularly stunning amount of money, but to better ensure the futures of clubs down the lower down the league. Uh, I completely disagree with what Sean Dyche is saying. Just because head fund managers are doing that doesn't mean football clubs shouldn't be doing that. Um, football clubs are not hedge funds. Football clubs are incredibly important. I think community. yours is actually, isn't it, Carl? <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. Football clubs are supposed to be incredibly important places of community. And if you're only really describing football clubs as a means to generate money, then what's the point of this? There was a point halfway through lockdown, I think around about April time, where I naively thought um, we might leave all this and decide to build a better, more fairer, more egalitarian society. And, and then like the next month came along and went, oh, the European Super League is going to happen sometime this decade, isn't it? This is terrible. Capitalism is bad. That's I think what's, what sticks in the craw particularly is, is, the, is the memory that during the early weeks and months of the pandemic, an awful lot of people were saying, well, football will have to change. Football cannot be the same um, in terms of the way that it spends money. Um, and then here we are, as this transfer window draws towards a close and we're seeing the big clubs doing what they always do, a lot of them, which is, you know, spending big money on on on, on players while other, you know, while other clubs go to the wall. But then you look at like Liverpool, you know, their deals for Thiago and, and Jota are, you know, involve really small down payments because they don't have the funds to do it at the moment. I'm not saying you know, I'm not defending Sean Dutch. I'm sure if Burnley had gone down last season, he would have a very different view on, on how it worked out. But it, for me, I think it's more down to the government to do it than, than football clubs. You know, the, mm. you know, you talk about Berry and Macclesfield. You know, these are football clubs are a community cultural institutions around the country. You know, they should be protected. They're, they're part of the very fabric of, of our country and, and life. Uh, in the, in the same way that, for example, when the banks, when certain banks got in trouble, it wasn't the other banks that bailed them out, it was the government. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Premier League would probably point to the fact that their clubs have already lost an estimated 700 million uh, themselves through the repercussions of COVID-19, which is w- way more than the Football League and below clubs. So, uh, because you know, oh, I, I just feel as if when you look at the clubs that are going, when you yeah. look at these clubs, Macclesfield, um, Bury, places like Bolton, places like Wigan, these are football clubs in towns, in cities that have been hardest hit by austerity, that have been places that the government has for the better part of a decade not given a damn about when you look at things in football right now like Marcus Rashford and what he's doing to combat child food poverty it's no coincidence that Rashford a child you know he grew up under austerity has now grown up and gone I need to fix this so the idea that you can on one hand congratulate Marcus Rashford for what he's doing because of the very very unique political circumstances he grew up in and then on the other hand have Sean Nice going no we don't need to look after each other it's baffling like, what's the point of football if you're not looking after each other I might have misrepresented Sean Dyche's uh, words but I think he was saying that if no, you're going to do didn't. that in football it's fine I think Sean Dyche is Sean Dyche is a fantastic football manager and probably one of the best managers England national team will never have I think he should be looking after more people we, we all should be probably but should football that's a yes from, from Carl Tom you're saying yes Duncan, you're saying let the government sort it out because they've oh, got I'm a, saying yes a great well, track but record. But I'm also saying it's very it's very handy for the government to kind of go, oh, look at all the Premier League clubs not helping, and that basically right. gets them off the hook. Indeed. Uh, I have to say shout-out to Man United, who have respected the pain of lower league clubs by doing very little in the transfer market. Um, <laughs> note to self, don't mention Gary Neville's tweet to Carl 
where he says it's appalling that in this market, which is probably the easiest in Premier League history, to get transfers done, that United haven't done more yet, exclamation mark. They must get Oli, a centre-back, a left-back and a forward pre-deadline, exclamation mark. The others are managing to get things over the line. Why not United, exclamation mark. Carl's eyebrows are doing a little dance now. You know what I'm going to ask you. Don't say it, Carl. Instead, have this question from Roger Harris, who says, why in the world would United buy Dembele? Yeah, well, you just think in, in, in what universe is the answer to the many problems with Man United squad buying an injury-prone winger who has missed something like 80 matches uh, through injury over the last few years. Um, uh, it sort of, you know, it ties in with the pursuit of Sancho. You can understand the appeal of signing a player like Sancho, but when you look at United's squad, that's not an area of the pitch where they're particularly deficient. And it, it does just sort of tie in with this feeling that you know, Ed Woodward and the decision makers at United do just allow themselves to be distracted by shiny things during transfer windows rather than actually drawing up a list of things that they need and going out and getting them. I mean, Usman Dembele is a wonderful player, but he's completely lost his way since he went to Barcelona. He's not been spared by injuries at all. Um, and, you know, I, I guess he gives you a bit of backup, but he's probably not going to be an automatic starter. Um, so why bother, basically? Mm. Well... We'll see. That deal, anything but confirmed, but it's out there. So, uh, with that floating around and many other stories too, let's get on to the weekend's games next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listener. Match day four of the Premier League season kicks off Saturday with Chelsea Crystal Palace. Then it's silky skills, cocked eyebrows and seagulls coming away with less than they deserve probably as Everton hosts Brighton. Master Apprentice narrative fans may enjoy the Bielsa Pep showdown that the narrow-minded would call simply Leeds Man City later that day and Saturday finishes in style with Newcastle Burnley. Sunday, there's a choice of viewing early as league leaders Leicester host West Ham at midday while Saints go toe-to-toe with the baggies. Chris Wilder brings the blades to a battle with the Gunners as Arsenal host Sheffield United while Wolves face Fulham and at Old Trafford, Mourinho for once will be the centre of attention as Spurs visit Man United and Liverpool make the trip to Aston Villa. Enjoy all of that because after this, it's Nations League again. Mm. Where do you want to start? And why is it Ellen Road? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Carl, right. Okay, so here's my question. Are this city side there for the taking? Post what Leicester did to them, what can Leeds do? Oh, yeah. Manchester City are absolutely there for the taking. Um, There's a lot of conversation around how much money Pep Guardiola has spent at centre-backs. But what the particularly interesting thing is, basically, his defensive midfielder is Rodri, who is not the most mobile player. Rodri's very much like Pep Guardiola in the Barcelona teams, in that he has really good football intelligence, he can make a tackle, but he's not the quickest. So you have to make sure the area in which he has to patrol is quite confined. There's a really good video clip of Johan Cruyff um, explaining this, like, you know, if you give me a room that's just really big, I can't really make a tackle, but if you gave me a very tiny space, I can stop even the greatest attacker in the world. Rodri is being given massive amounts of space to patrol because Manchester City throws all these free eights and number 10s and strikers up front. Uh, and Rodri has to basically do what uh, Gundogan, David Silva and Fernandinho used to do, which is basically make loads of tactical fouls if there was a counter-attack. And because Rodri can't do that, 
it then falls onto the back four, which is normally a back two because the fullbacks from Manchester City are so high up the pitch that then it becomes a job as one of Laporte or one of whoever to make the tactical foul. Laporte is really good at this. Ake's going to have to learn it. Otamendi is no longer there because that's how good he was at that job. John Stones isn't is is John Stones, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, that's how you beat Man City. You basically you suck them in, and then you got to play it over the top, try and get round Rodri very very quickly, and then it's basically a case of one on one. It's very doable, very doable for Leeds, especially when you consider how much Bielsa spends time studying videotapes and doing stuff. I'm in no doubt in my mind he has told Bamford the exact correct angle to run. At Rodri. I'm imagining Bamford's going to run at Rodri's left shoulder four or five times in the first 20 minutes just to see what happens. It's a big game for Rodri because, um, you know, let's just hope he approves of uh, Leeds' tactics after the game because he was he, he didn't enjoy Leicester's approach. So as long as Leeds play quite a, a free-flowing game, I don't think he minds if he if he wins or loses. But, um, I mean, on the flip side, you know, Guardiola's unbeaten against Bielsa in their few meetings. But, um, yeah... It, Leeds and Leicester, there is a bit of a, a parallel in the sense that they are basically scoring with almost everything they touch this season. Leicester have got the best conversion rate this season in the Premier League. Leeds are second on 25%, which was very much not the case in the Championship last season where they you know, had thousands of chances but were, would often miss them. So maybe that will continue, but I could see it's going to come to an end at some point and this might be the game when, when it happens. It feels like a free hit for Leeds as well in that they're going into it off the back of two wins they had those two very knockabout games against Liverpool and Fulham and then a very different kind of game against Sheffield United okay not the the most uh, impressive attacking force in the division but you know a Yorkshire derby and a, a tight game then they got a, a winner in at the end so there's there's very little for Leeds to lose here um, and we know how how much City can be unsettled by teams you get at them and I think the one thing that you always hope as an opposition team playing against um, Pep Guardiola's City is that if you get chances you take them um, and you look at Patrick Bamford and the form that he's in you know three goals in three games uh, I'm sure that if a chance does fall to him, um, you know, he, you'd, ba- you'd back him to take it on current form. So um, having established that the way for Leeds to approach this is to run a lot at Rodri's left shoulder, what, what should City do to, to break down Leeds? Play a striker <laughs> would help. Uh, currently looks as if Raheem Sterling will probably move in the false nine, which it, it, I can understand it vaguely if I break my brain to try and understand Guardiola a bit more but you can just play with a bit more convention Manchester you play really well when they have someone as in a nominal number nine role but if Gabriel Jesus and, and Sergio Aguero are both are injured uh, his, his options are limited no you could go with a 17 year old Liam Delap. yeah yeah well go on coach coach the 17 year old all right <laughs> well Ra- Raheem Sterling as a false nine has worked in the past I think the belief will be he will persist with Raheem Sterling as the false nine. I would recommend he plays with a more orthodox number nine, um, if only just to create more of a fixed point for Leeds' centre-backs to be occupied with while Raheem Sterling runs in behind. Mm, nice. Bielsa is winless in his three previous meetings with Guardiola. Yes, there's a really good anecdote from the, I want to say, the Copa del Rey final from when Bielsa was in charge of Atletico Bilbao and Guardiola was the Barcelona coach. And then after the game where Barcelona won, um, Bielsa gave Guardiola all of his notes he had on Barcelona. Uh, and uh, so the story goes, Guardiola looked at him and went, you know more about my football club than I do, uh, to which Bielsa said something like, well, we lost, it doesn't really matter. 
have the notes. I'm, I'm off on holiday in true Bielsa style. Brilliant. If you want a really good thread, uh, Ben Mendy has some fantastic stories about Bielsa because, of course, they spent time together at Marseille. All right. Last one, Carl. Uh, oh, the other Manchester side, Manchester United, have got a big game as well. That's Sunday afternoon when they host Spurs. Both had interesting games, as we touched on earlier, in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Spurs knocking Chelsea out of the competition on penalties after a 1-1 draw. And among the many kind of side notes from this game was a- another touchline spat uh, with Frank Lampard, this time with his old mentor, Jose Mourinho. What was behind that, Duncan? Well, Chelsea took the lead and I think Mourinho felt Lampard was, was milking it a bit. And, um, you know, it's this ongoing touchline code that we've, you know, soap opera that we love so much. But it was, you think back to how close Lampard and Mourinho were in the 2000s. It was, um, it was very much like seeing Tony Soprano and Christopher towards the end of the Sopranos when, the, when it's all breaking down. Because the, the anger between them was, it was quite painful to watch. And, uh, and which Lampard, one was which? Well, Lampard would be Christopher because he's I see. He's I've younger, not seen but, the Sopranos, so... Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, Lampard seems to be getting spikier and spikier as, as the weeks go by, and that often happens when a you know when a manager is struggling for results. Also, the famous Adam Hurry paradigm of the serious point, light-hearted point, no, but serious point. That seems to now be just serious points in his post-game interviews, as a measure of how much stress is building on him. Well, yeah, I guess it's because they're not winning games, um, so there's not quite so much to to chuckle about he did he did um use the classic Lampard paradigm to discuss that Mourinho thing though and that it was sort of you know serious chuckly serious again but chuckly oh right he he was at pains to to explain that you know the the, the sort of mutual respect they have for each other was intact Um, right so yeah it's interesting that Lampard has emerged as this sort of like you know touchline bother boy and long may it continue we need more of it, to be honest. We had it a lot in the old days, and I miss it, and it's, you know... Well, particularly yeah. now you can actually hear what's being said. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly. a real game-changer when it comes to touchline spats. Unless it's Ray Lewington just shouting over and over again, which is <laughs> less exciting. How, how, how thrilled were you with uh, Regalon's performance, uh, setting up uh, Lamella's equaliser for Spurs? Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed watching. I mean, what was uh, a performance of contrasts in the in the build up to uh, Timo Werner's opener for Chelsea? Reguilón committed himself to a sliding block with such force that he almost slid clean off the pitch, uh, which was quite entertaining. Um, but stuck at it, and you saw an awful lot of him. Um, you know, we know he's a very dynamic, very forward-thinking left back. He ends up um, supplying the assist. Eric Lamella's equaliser and I think it was I think it was um, an enlightening uh, example of, of what he's going to bring to Tottenham um, and you know you imagine when they've got everyone fit if he's able to combine with with Son on that side Son darting in um, off the touchline and leaving the space for Reguillon to burst into I mean it's got it's got everything that you'd want in a left-sided partnership on paper mm, Sounds good Man United, uh, Carl, which we, we touched on a little bit earlier, saying that they look much better this time against Brighton. Uh, one of the goals, a delightful free kick by Paul Pogba, who you'd like it to have a little bit shorter, according to a lovely piece I read of yours this, this week, where you kind of pointed out that when Man United bought it, I'll let you explain. So um, it's season five of Unlocking Pogba at Manchester United. Uh, and uh, I know you haven't seen The Sopranos, so I'll say um, I'm hoping it's going to be more like Game of Thrones and not quite like, have you seen Mad Men? Yeah, of course. Good season five. 
Um, Paul Pogba, I wish he was a bit shorter because his physical attributes run counter to his preferences and style of play. Um, throughout his time under Mourinho, he was very much put on uh, defensive duties on set pieces where he's shown no aptitude or enthusiasm for defending corners or free kicks, which I always found quite interesting. Um, in the League Cup, he had one header that he probably should have put on target, but he missed quite badly. So yeah, he's he look, he's six foot two. He's quite strong. He has this fantastic stride where he can gallop thirty yards in three or four bounds, and you're like, oh, that's a fantastic young man. He should do everything in a midfield. Where in actuality, he's probably plays a lot closer to someone who's five foot nine and should be uh, a number ten. Right, and whereas say in. The Juventus lineup, where he had his, his his best spell of his career so far, apart from with France, um, he was flanked by players who could do the bits that you know let him get on with his Pogba specialities. And you make the comparison indeed with Hamas Rodriguez arriving at Everton, the fact that they've provided a couple of players to ensure that Rodriguez is free to get on with with doing other things. So essentially, Man United brought Pogba to replicate the entire Juventus midfield on his own. Essentially, yes. Um, to bring up another box set. Uh, for fans of the West Wing, when they frequently say, let Bartlett be Bartlett, I don't think Manchester United have let Pogba be Pogba. On the free kick, James, there was actually a, a steward's inquiry after the game, uh, oh. and it has been declared not good um, because it took a massive deflection, to the extent that I'm surprised it hasn't gone down as an own goal, because it took a deflection and then went in off the post, um, which is all the proof you need that it wasn't on target. So I'll be writing a fairly strongly worded email to Mr. Carabao um, as soon as we've come off the pod just to, you know, <laughs> state the case that it'd be taken off Pogba. They all count. I quite enjoyed how he went out with a NBA basketball shooting sleeve on one arm. And then I thought he looked like a fast bowler. But yeah. It was quite fun. And then immediately after uh, the game, he was on Instagram with his laptop out watching the NBA finals, which started at two o'clock in the morning. So um, Paul Pogba, I hope you're asleep right now because you, you've probably wrecked your little sleep cycle there. If you're not, you soon will be, as I ask this question from Andrew Lang. Uh, after almost all of them scored recently, who would you play in the Man United midfield and why? Ooh. Uh, I would play a midfield pivot of Fred and Scott McTominay with Bruno really? up top. Um, uh-huh. Slightly left field answer, but I think there's an extra mobility to Fred and Scott McTominay that even though they're not the best players... In Manchester United's midfield disposal, they have a very functional partnership that allows Bruno to work better. So Van der Beek and this Pogba fellow would be sat on the bench waiting for their chance. Tom, what, what do you think? Um, I think it would depend on the opposition. Um, ah. But I would want Pogba and Fernandez in the team together uh, as far as possible with either Matic or, or Fred behind them, depending on whether you wanted a big lanky guy to win headers or a, a scurrier like Fred. Pogba can do all of that. Uh, Duncan? Well, has Bruno Fernandes actually been any good recently, other than being good at penalties? Um, so, I mean, Got that assist uh, right at the weekend that was V-nice. Yeah, but he hasn't been as good as he was the first couple of months, I would, I would posit. Um, so maybe give Pogba uh, a run out in that role for a couple of games. Bruno Fernandes finished, screams Opta man. Can't believe well, it. Well, it's, it's because mainly he's, he's ruining records, isn't he? He's going to smash all the penalty records. So he needs, to be, <laughs> he needs to be slowed down a bit. Well, there's more Man United to come later on when we flip reverse that. Uh, but next up, we're going to be talking about one of the transfer market's bigger spenders. Uh, the only Premier League side yet to concede a goal this season. Who is it? No looking. We'll be back after this. 
know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. Avoid European travel? Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. You see? New normal? Same old football. And that's why we're giving customers a completely free £5 bet on Man United v Spurs this Sunday. Paddy Power! On an exclusive, new customers must deposit one bet per customer. Opt-in required. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Hey, listener. You know that feeling when you watch a midweek game, maybe involving Spurs in a far-flung location in the Europa League, or a Carabao Cup fixture involving heavy squad rotation, and you notice a particular player running the show? You haven't seen him before, but you're certain he's the next big thing. Well, now you can back your instincts by buying shares in that player on the Football Index, the football stock market. You can download Football Index on iOS and Android today. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up using the offer code TFS20 to take out a seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. Woof. Full terms and conditions are available at trade.footballindex.co.uk slash money-back guarantee. It's 18 plus only and please be gambleaware.org. Become a football stock market trader today with Football Index. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, hands up. Who had Aston Villa? Wow, listener, well done. That's right. Villa are yet to concede. 3-0 winners, of course, against Fulham on Monday. And then on Tuesday, their wheeling and dealing brought them Ross Barkley in on loan from Chelsea. Villa also on a six-game unbeaten run in the Premier League dating back to last season. That is the longest current undefeated streak in the division. And they're facing Liverpool this Sunday. So... Can Salah and co. breach the league's most impregnable defence? And in terms of improving their side, did anyone apart from maybe Everton have a better window than Aston Villa have had? I think the one small caveat that you would put beside uh, Villa's two clean sheets is that they came against Sheffield United, who scored a grand total of 39 goals in 38 games last season and look even more toothless this season and then full. Muddy knees. Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally football show today. Round four of the Premier League season. Treats like Oli against Jose and Pep against Marcelo as Man United take on Spurs and Leeds Man City. There's Carabao Cup news. Chelsea knocked out by Spurs. 45 minutes keeping it tight at the back. Then it all went down the pan. Or was that just Eric Dyer? We talk transfers, football solidarity and even do a little flip reversing. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, 1st of October. And hello you, listener. You're joining us here on the Totally Football Show in the company of Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Of Opta Joe fame. Carl Anker of Talk of the Devil hosting duties. Hi, Carl. Hi, James. Hello. And also Tom Williams 
of Tom Williams. Hello, James. Hey, Sam's in early with a tweet today. Sam says, uh, has anyone ever had the presenting stroke journalism equivalent of the Eric Dyers? There was one episode of Talk of the Devils quite recently where I had to very quickly ask a question, put my microphone on mute, and then uh, ran off to the toilet before anyone noticed. I think I got away with it. Wow, Tom. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, I was doing my first shift um, at Radio France. Uh, Sorry, uh, did you say shift? I, 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 did, say, I did say shift. Uh, my first shift at a company called uh, Radio France International in Paris um, and had a bit of a, a, a runs situation, um, which was complicated. It's hard to sort of like finesse that. <laughs> It, it, bananas. It was, it was what it was, shall we say. Right, bananas. I know because I had a professional experience where I had to, and it's bananas. You eat them just to clarify what you, you know, how they help. But what, is, and is that is that the solution? Apparently. Right, yeah. wow. Game changer. Yeah, bananas. Avoid olive oil. Don't make that mistake. Anyway, Eric Dyer, just one of the big, big stories of what's been a busy week on and off the field. Of course, League Cup last 16 matches, three of which are still to come this evening. We've got Brentford, Fulham, Villa, Stoke and Liverpool Arsenal awaiting us on this Thursday. But already through to the quarterfinals, Manchester City, Man United, Everton, Newcastle, just they needed penalties against Newport County, as did Spurs against Chelsea. Guys, did you watch any and what can you tell us about it? Duncan. Uh, I watched Spurs Chelsea, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was a, a classic game of two halves. Really, Chelsea looked pretty good first half, and then it's strange with Tottenham now because having seen all or nothing, you can now envisage Mourinho at half time, sort of saying, you know, you know, the guys show balls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Friendship they, is important. Friendship is important, you know. Um, and yeah, to be fair, Tottenham they were better second half um, but as as described the Eric Dyer incident um, that's now the second domestic cup game in a row he's left the pitch in, in an unusual fashion because obviously the last one was Norwich and he he was climbing up the stands to confront a fan so um, I mean I think my favourite bit from this week was was Mourinho following him in I mean I don't know what mm. was that would put a lot of pressure in, in an already kind of stressful situation having Mourinho banging on the door going Eric um, and he said, he said, I went in there to put some pressure on him. It's like, has Mourinho never taken a dump before? Well, that would explain a lot if he hadn't. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, in other League Cup news, Carl, Man United were better, weren't they? They were. That was relatively pain-free compared to the absolute chaos that was uh, the previous game against Brighton. I said before, League Cup games sort of feel like when you're listening to a team's greatest hits album. So all the recognisable beats are there, but they're devoid of proper context and there's next to no flow between each move. So you're like, okay, all right, they're doing the whole counter-attacking thing. Oop, oh, no, we're doing the bad defending thing. Oop, no, we're doing the whole goalkeeper swearing at your centre-backs constantly. You think, oh, here we go. We're doing the, oh, why not? It's lovely thing again. And that was Manchester <laughs> United. You had the new band member as well in goal. Yes, Dean Henderson, who was very vocal. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed on television, but after Manchester United went 3-0 up, he was uh, screaming at his back line, 3-0 minimum, 3-0 minimum. Um, Duncan, you have did a tweet before he returned to Manchester United talking about how he might be an odd stylistic fit regarding short goal kicks. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a gobby one. Thank you, Chris Wilder. It's about time there was more gobby people in the back line of Manchester United. Nice. 
Nice. All right, well, we'll talk more about Man United, Pogba's wonderful free kick. Maybe we'll touch on Dominic Calvert-Lewin's hat-trick in the League Cup against uh, West Ham. 4-1 win there for Carlo Ancelotti's side, who've now won all six of their opening fixtures. Boom. We'll probably touch on whether there's to be changes from Pogmol to the handball ruling. But also, in the course of the last few days, there's been a lot more transfer activity. Ruben Diaz, for example, going for £62 million to Manchester City, who's spending under Pep Guardiola on defenders, is now at £415 million, which is why they're keeping so many clean sheets. He's apparently a gobby fellow himself. So that should work well. I can't imagine that a, a player will have ever made a more high-pressure debut than Ruben Diaz will when he first comes into the City team. It's like, we've just lost 5-2 at home. Uh, it was our manager's uh, heaviest ever defeat in terms of goals conceded. It was the first time we'd conceded that number of goals on this pitch. Um, no pressure, but we'd like you to basically fix all of that uh, and also replace our beloved and emblematic former captain who we basically didn't get round to replacing previously. Um, so, yeah, good luck with that, Ruben. City facing the might of Leeds, as we'll touch on later on. That uh, Ruben Diaz move brings the total spending by England's top flight clubs since the window opened to over a billion pounds. Uh, and there could be, you know, Metmen say there's more on the way because the transfer window closes on Monday. Of course, a lot of people are saying if you can spend all that on shiny new players when you've already got loads, how about digging into your pockets for some of the clubs that are struggling down at the bottom end where they don't have massive TV revenue, where the gate revenue is not coming in? Uh, Colin Miller, for example, saying fans of Bury and Macclesfield have been robbed of their clubs, community institutions with over 100 years of history, would have been saved by just one week of Gareth Bale's wages. Do you feel that this is kind of a false equivalent saying, well, you've spent on that, therefore you should help out the other leagues? Do you take the Sean Dyche approach of saying hedge fund managers don't help each other? Why should we? Uh, what do you think it would be the right thing? What do you think might happen uh, from the Premier League and, and, and the, the teams in need? I'd like to see what the German teams did. So partly through the summer, a number of the German teams, uh, particularly those of Champions League, Football basically came to an agreement and said, you know, agreed to to give some money. It wasn't a particularly stunning amount of money, but to better ensure the futures of clubs down the lower down the league. Uh, I completely disagree with what Sean Dyche is saying. Just because head fund managers are doing that doesn't mean football clubs shouldn't be doing that. Um, football clubs are not hedge funds. Football clubs are incredibly important. I think community. yours is actually, isn't it, Carl? <laughs> it feels like it sometimes football clubs are supposed to be incredibly important places of community and if you're only really describing football clubs as a means to generate money then what's the point of this there was a point halfway through lockdown I think around about April time where I naively thought um, we might leave all of this and decide to build a better more fairer more egalitarian society and, and then like the next month came along and went, oh, the European Super League's going to happen sometime this decade, isn't it? This is terrible. Capitalism is bad. That's I think what's, what sticks in the craw particularly is, is, the, is the memory that during the early weeks and months of the pandemic, an awful lot of people were saying, well, football will have to change. Football cannot be the same um, in terms of the way that it spends money. Um, and then here we are, as this transfer window draws towards a close and we're seeing the big clubs doing what they always do, a lot of them, which is, you know, spending big money on on on, on play as well. Other you know, while other clubs go to the wall. 
But then you look at like Liverpool, you know, their deals for Thiago and, and Jota are, you know, involve really small down payments because they don't have the funds to do it at the moment. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not defending Sean Dutch. I'm sure if Burnley had gone down last season, he would have a very different view on, on how it worked out. But it, for me, I think it's more down to the government to do it than, than football clubs. You know, the, mm. you know, you talk about Barry and Macclesfield, you know, these are, football clubs are a community cultural institutions around the country you know they should be protected they're, they're part of the very fabric of of our country and, and life uh, in, the, in the same way that for example when the banks when certain banks got in trouble it wasn't the other banks that bailed them out it was the government exactly yeah uh, Premier League would probably point to the fact that their clubs have already lost an estimated 700 million uh, themselves through the repercussions of COVID-19 which is w- way more than the Football League and below clubs so, uh, because you know, oh, I, I just feel as if when you look at the clubs that are going when you yeah. look at these clubs Macclesfield um, Berry, places like Bolton places like Wigan these are football clubs in towns in cities that have been hardest hit by austerity that have been places that the government has for the better part of a decade not given a damn about when you look at things in football right now like Marcus Rashford and what he's doing to combat child food poverty it's no coincidence that Rashford a child you know he grew up under austerity has now grown up and gone I need to fix this so the idea that you can on one hand congratulate Marcus Rashford for what he's doing because of the very very unique political circumstances he grew up in and then on the other hand have Sean Nice going no we don't need to look after each other it's baffling like, what's the point of football if you're not looking after each other I might have misrepresented Sean Dyche's uh, words but I think he was saying that if no, you're going to do didn't. that in football it's fine I think Sean Dyche is Sean Dyche is a fantastic football manager and probably one of the best managers England national team will never have I think he should be looking after more people we, we all should be probably but should football that's a yes from, from Carl Tom you're saying yes Duncan, you're saying let the government sort it out because they've oh, got I'm a, saying yes a great well, track but record. But I'm also saying it's very it's very handy for the government to kind of go, oh, look at all the Premier League clubs not helping, and that basically right. gets them off the hook. Indeed. Uh, I have to say shout-out to Man United, who have respected the pain of lower league clubs by doing very little in the transfer market. Um, <laughs> note to self, don't mention Gary Neville's tweet to Carl where he says it's appalling that in this market, which is probably the easiest in Premier League history, to get transfers done, that United haven't done more yet, exclamation mark. They must get Oli, a centre-back, a left-back and a forward pre-deadline, exclamation mark. The others are managing to get things over the line. Why not United, exclamation mark. Carl's eyebrows are doing a little dance now. You know what I'm going to ask you. Don't say it, Carl. Instead, have this question from Roger Harris, who says, why in the world would United buy Dembele? Yeah, well, you just think in 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 what universe is the answer to the many problems with Man United squad buying an injury-prone winger who has missed something like eighty matches uh, through injury over the last few years? Um, uh, it sort of you know it ties in with the pursuit of Sancho. You can understand the appeal of signing a player like Sancho, but when you look at United squad, that's not an area of the pitch where they're particularly deficient, and it it does just sort of tie in with this feeling that. You know, Ed Woodward and the decision makers at United do just allow themselves to be distracted by shiny things during transfer windows rather than actually drawing up a list of things that they need and going out and getting them. I mean, Usman Dembele is a wonderful player, but he's completely lost his way since he went to Barcelona. He's not been spared by injuries at all. Um, and, you know, I, I guess he gives you a bit of backup, but he's probably not going to be an automatic starter. Um, so why bother, basically? Mm. 
Well, we'll see. That deal, anything but confirmed, but it's out there. So, uh, with that floating around and many other stories too, let's get on to the weekend's games next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listener, match day four of the Premier League season kicks off Saturday with Chelsea Crystal Palace. Then it's silky skills, cocked eyebrows and seagulls coming away with less than they deserve probably as Everton hosts Brighton. Master Apprentice narrative fans may enjoy the Bielsa Pep showdown that the narrow-minded would call simply Leeds Man City later that day and Saturday finishes in style with Newcastle Burnley. Sunday, there's a choice of viewing early as league leaders Leicester host West Ham at midday while Saints go toe-to-toe with the baggies. Chris Wilder brings the blades to a battle with the Gunners as Arsenal host Sheffield United while Wolves face Fulham and at Old Trafford, Mourinho for once will be the centre of attention as Spurs visit Man United and Liverpool make the trip to Aston Villa. Enjoy all of that because after this, it's Nations League again. Mm. Where do you want to start? And why is it Ellen Road? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Carl, right. Okay, so here's my question. Are this city side there for the taking? Post what Leicester did to them, what can Leeds do? Oh, yeah. Manchester City, absolutely there for the taking. Um, There's a lot of conversation around how much money Pep Guardiola spent at centre-backs. But what the particularly interesting thing is, basically, his defensive midfielder is Rodri, who is not the most mobile player. Rodri's very much like Pep Guardiola in the Barcelona teams, in that he has really good football intelligence, he can make a tackle, but he's not the quickest. So you have to make sure the area in which he has to patrol is quite confined. There's a really good video clip of Johan Cruyff um, explaining this, like, you know, if you give me a room that's just really big, I can't really make a tackle, but if you gave me a very tiny space, I can stop even the greatest attacker in the world. Rodri is being given massive amounts of space to patrol because Manchester City throws all these free eights and number 10s and strikers up front. Uh, and then Rodri has to basically do what uh, Gundogan, David Silva and Fernandinho used to do, which is basically make loads of tactical fouls if there was a counter-attack. And because Rodri can't do that, it then falls onto the back four, which is normally a back two because the fullbacks from Manchester City are so high up the pitch that then it becomes a job as one of Laporte or one of whoever to make this tactical foul. Laporte is really good at this. Ake's going to have to learn it. Otamendi is no longer there because that's how good he was at that job. John Stones isn't is, is John Stones, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, that's how you beat Man City. You basically you suck him in and then you got to play it over the top, try and get around Rodri very, very quickly. And then it's basically a case of one-on-one. Um it's very doable, very doable for Leeds, especially when you consider how much Bielsa spends time studying videotapes and doing stuff. I'm in no doubt in my mind he has told Bamford the exact correct angle to run at Rodri. I'm imagining Bamford's going to run at Rodri's left shoulder four or five times in the first 20 minutes just to see what happens. It's a big game for Rodri because, um, you know, let's just hope he approves of uh, Leeds' tactics after the game because he was... He didn't enjoy Leicester's approach, so as long as Leeds play quite a, a free-flowing game, I don't think he minds if he if he wins or loses. But um, I mean, on the flip side, you know, Guardiola's unbeaten against Bielsa in their few meetings. But um, yeah, it, it, Leeds and Leicester, there is a bit of a, a parallel in the sense that they are basically scoring with almost everything they touch this season. Leicester have got the best conversion rate this season in the Premier League. Leeds are second on twenty-five percent, which was very much not the case in the Championship last season, where they. You know, had thousands of chances, but would often miss them. So, 
maybe that will continue, but I could see it's going to come to an end at some point, and this might be the game when, when it happens. It feels like a free hit for Leeds as well, in that they're going into it off the back of two wins. They had those two very knockabout games against Liverpool and Fulham, and then a very different kind of game against Sheffield United. Okay, not the, the most uh, impressive attacking force in the division, but you know, a Yorkshire derby and a, a tight game, then they got a, a winner in at the end. So there's there's very little for Leeds to lose here. Um, and we know how, how much City can be unsettled by teams who get at them. And I think the one thing that you always hope as an opposition team playing against um, Pep Guardiola's City is that if you get chances, you take them. Um, and you look at Patrick Bamford and the form that he's in, you know, three goals in three games, uh, I'm sure that if a chance does fall to him, um, you know, he, you'd, back, you'd back him to take it on current form. So um, having established that the way for Leeds to approach this is to run a lot at Rodri's left shoulder, what, what should City do to, to break down Leeds? Play a striker <laughs> would help. Uh, it currently looks as if Raheem Sterling will probably move in the false nine, which it, it, I can understand it vaguely if I break my brain to try and understand Guardiola a bit more but you can just play with a bit more convention Manchester City you play really well when they have someone as in a nominal number nine role but if Gabriel Jesus and, and Sergio Aguero are both are injured uh, his, his options are limited no you could go with a 17 year old Liam Dilap yeah yeah well go on coach coach the 17 year old all right <laughs> well Ra- Raheem Sterling as a false nine has worked in the past I think the belief will be he will persist with Raheem Sterling as the false nine. I would recommend he plays with a more orthodox number nine, um, if only just to create more of a fixed point for Leeds' centre-backs to be occupied with while Raheem Sterling runs in behind. Mm, nice. Bielsa is winless in his three previous meetings with Guardiola. Yes, there's a really good anecdote from the, I want to say, the Copa del Rey final from when Bielsa was in charge of Atletico Bilbao. And Guardiola was the Barcelona coach. And then after the game where Barcelona won, um, Bielsa gave Guardiola all of his notes he had on Barcelona. Uh, and uh, so the story goes, Guardiola looked at him and went, you know more about my football club than I do. Uh, to which Bielsa said something like, well, we lost. It doesn't really matter. Have the notes. I'm, I'm off on holiday. In true Bielsa style. Brilliant. If you want a really good thread, uh, Ben Mendy has some fantastic stories about Bielsa because, of course, they spent time together at Marseille. All right. Last one, Carl. Uh, oh, the other Manchester side, Manchester United, have got a big game as well. That's Sunday afternoon when they host Spurs. Both had interesting games, as we touched on earlier, in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Spurs knocking Chelsea out of the competition on penalties after a 1-1 draw. And among the many kind of side notes from this game was a- another touchline spat uh, with Frank Lampard, this time with his old mentor, Jose Mourinho. What was behind that, Duncan? Well, Chelsea took the lead and I think Mourinho felt Lampard was, was milking it a bit. And, um, you know, it's this ongoing touchline code that we've, you know, so popular that we love so much. But it was, you think back to how close Lampard and Mourinho were in the 2000s. It was, um, it was very much like seeing Tony Soprano and Christopher towards the end of the Sopranos when, they're, when it's all breaking down. Because the, the anger between them was, it was quite painful to watch. And, uh, and which Lampard, one was which? Well, Lampard would be Christopher because he's I see. He's I've younger, not seen but, the Sopranos, so... Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, Lampard seems to be getting spikier and spikier as, as the weeks go by, and that often happens when a you know when a manager is struggling for results. Also, the famous Adam Hurry paradigm of the serious point, light-hearted point, no, but serious point. That seems to now be just serious points in his post-game interviews. 
as a measure of how much stress is building on him. Well, yeah, I guess it's because they're not winning games, um, so there's not quite so much to to chuckle about. He did he did um, use the classic Lampard paradigm to discuss that Mourinho thing, though, and that it was sort of you know serious, chuckly, serious again, but chuckly. Oh right. Of, he he was at pains to to explain that you know the, the, the sort of mutual respect they have for each other was intact. Um, right. So yeah, it's interesting that Lampard has emerged as this sort of like you know touchline bother boy. And long may it continue. We need more of it, to be honest. We had it a lot in the old days, and I miss it, and it's, you know... Well, particularly yeah. now you can actually hear what's being said. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly. a real game-changer when it comes to touchline spats. Unless it's Ray Lewington just shouting over and over again, which is <laughs> less exciting. How, how, how thrilled were you with uh, Regalon's performance, uh, setting up uh, Lamella's equaliser for Spurs? Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed watching. I mean, what was uh, a performance of contrasts in the in the build up to uh, Timo Werner's opener for Chelsea? Reguilon committed himself to a sliding block with such force that he almost slid clean off the pitch, uh, which was quite entertaining. Um, but stuck at it, and you saw an awful lot of him. Um, you know, we know he's a very dynamic, very forward thinking left back. He ends up um, supplying the assist. Eric Lamella's equaliser, and I think it was I think it was um, an enlightening uh, example of of what he's going to bring to Tottenham. Um, and you know, you imagine when they've got everyone fit, if he's able to combine with with Son on that side, Son darting in um, off the touchline and leaving the space for Reguilón to burst into. I mean, it's got it's got everything that you'd want in a left sided partnership on paper. Mm, sounds good. Man United, uh, Carl, which we, we touched on a little bit earlier, saying that they look much better this time against Brighton. Uh, one of the goals, a delightful free kick by Paul Pogba, who you'd like it to have a little bit shorter, according to a lovely piece I read of yours this, this week, where you kind of pointed out that th- when Man United bought it, I'll let you explain. So um, it's season five of Unlocking Pogba at Manchester United. Uh, and uh, I know you haven't seen The Sopranos, so I'll say um, I'm hoping it's going to be more like Game of Thrones and not quite like, have you seen Mad Men? Yeah, of course. Good season five. Um, Paul Pogba, I wish he was a bit shorter because his physical attributes run counter to his preferences and style of play. Um, throughout his time under Mourinho, he was very much put on uh, defensive duties on set pieces where he's shown no aptitude or enthusiasm for defending corners or free kicks, which I always found quite interesting. Um, in the League Cup, he had one header that he probably should have put on target, but he missed quite badly. So yeah, he's he look, he's six foot two. He's quite strong. He has this fantastic stride where he can gallop thirty yards in three or four bounds, and you're like, oh, that's a fantastic young man. He should do everything in a midfield. Where in actuality, he probably plays a lot closer to someone who's five foot nine and should be uh, a number ten. Right, and whereas say in. The Juventus lineup, where he had his, his his best spell of his career so far, apart from with France, um, he was flanked by players who could do the bits that you know let him get on with his Pogba specialities. And you make the comparison, indeed, with James Rodriguez arriving at Everton, the fact that they've provided a couple of players to ensure that Rodriguez is free to get on with with doing other things. So essentially, Man United brought Pogba to replicate the entire Juventus midfield on his own. Essentially, yes. Um, to bring up another box set. Uh, for fans of the West Wing, when they frequently say, let Bartlett be Bartlett, I don't think Manchester United have let Pogba be Pogba. On the free kick, James, there was actually a, a steward's inquiry after the game, uh, oh. and it has been declared not good um, because it took a massive deflection 
to the extent that I'm surprised it hasn't gone down as an own goal because it took a deflection and then went in off the post, um, which is all the proof you need that it wasn't on target. So I'll be writing a fairly strongly worded email to Mr. Carabao um, as soon as we've come off the pod just to, you know, <laughs> state the case that it'd be taken off Pogba. They all count. I quite enjoyed how he went out with a NBA basketball shooting sleeve on one arm. And then I thought he looked like a fast bowler. But yeah. It was quite fun. And then immediately after the, uh, the game, he was on Instagram with his laptop out watching the NBA finals, which started at two o'clock in the morning. So um, Paul Pogba, I hope you're asleep right now because you, you've probably wrecked your little sleep cycle there. If you're not, you soon will be, as I ask this question from Andrew Lang. Uh, after almost all of them scored recently, who would you play in the Man United midfield and why? Ooh. Uh, I would play a midfield pivot of Fred and Scott McTominay with Bruno really? up top. Um, uh-huh. Slightly left field answer, but I think there's an extra mobility to Fred and Scott McTominay that even though they're not the best players... In Manchester United's midfield disposal, they have a very functional partnership that allows Bruno to work better. So Van der Beek and this Pogba fellow would be sat on the bench waiting for their chance. Tom, what, what do you think? Um, I think it would depend on the opposition. Um, ah. But I would want Pogba and Fernandez in the team together uh, as far as possible with either Matic or, or Fred behind them, depending on whether you wanted a big lanky guy to win headers or a, a scurrier like Fred. Pogba can do all of that. Uh, Duncan? Well, has Bruno Fernandes actually been any good recently, other than being good at penalties? Um, so, I mean, Got that assist Car- uh, riding at the weekend that was v nice. Yeah, but he hasn't been as good as he was the first couple of months. I would, I would posit. Um, so maybe give Pogba uh, a run out in that role for a couple of games. Bruno Fernandes finished screams opta man. Can't believe. Well, it's just it's because mainly he's he's ruining records, isn't he? He's going to smash all the penalty records. So he needs to be <laughs> he needs to be slowed down a bit. Well, there's more Man United to come later on when we flip reverse that. Uh, but next up, we're going to be talking about one of the transfer market's bigger spenders, uh, the only Premier League side yet to concede a goal this season. Who is it? No looking. We'll be back after this. We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. Avoid European travel? Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. You see? New normal? Same old football. And that's why we're giving customers a completely free £5 bet on Man United v Spurs this Sunday. Paddy Power! On an exclusive, new customers must deposit one bet per customer. Opt-in required. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Hey, listener. You know that feeling when you watch a midweek game, maybe involving Spurs in a far-flung location in the Europa League, or a Carabao Cup fixture involving heavy squad rotation, and you notice a particular player running the show? You haven't seen him before, but you're certain... He's the next big thing. Well, now you can back your instincts by buying shares in that player on the Football Index, the football stock market. You can download Football Index on iOS and Android today. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up using the offer code TFS20 to take out a seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. Woof. Full terms and conditions are available at trade.footballindex.co.uk slash moneybackguarantee. It's 18 plus only and please be gambleaware.org. Become a football stock market trader today with Football Index. (laughs) 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, hands up. Who had Aston Villa? Wow, listener, well done. That's right. Villa are yet to concede. 3-0 winners, of course, against Fulham on Monday. And then on Tuesday, their wheeling and dealing brought them Ross Barkley in on loan from Chelsea. Villa also on a six-game unbeaten run in the Premier League dating back to last season. That is the longest current undefeated streak in the division. And they're facing Liverpool this Sunday. So, can Salah and co. breach the league's most impregnable defence? And, in terms of improving their side, did anyone, apart from maybe Everton, have a better window than Aston Villa have had? I think the one small caveat that you would put beside... uh... Villa's two clean sheets is that they came against Sheffield United who scored a grand total of 39 goals in 38 games last season and look even more toothless this season and then mm-hmm. Fulham um, right. who are every bit as good as as, as they are um, okay. but yeah on the transfer <laughs> front Villa have have been really impressive I mean they have largely kept the team that escaped relegation last season intact uh, and then they've signed very judiciously I mean Emiliano Martinez uh, we were all very impressed by him when he, you know, when he started playing for Arsenal end of last season. Um, uh, Ollie Watkins, they've got, you know, someone who who should score the goals that the the sort of rotating cast of strikers who Villa tried last season uh, didn't manage to score. Ross Barkley is a really interesting signing. I mean, mm. it gives them the potential to put a really creative midfield out on the pitch. You think him and and John McGinn with Jack Grealish ahead of him. Um, so yeah, fair play to Villa. Um, and yeah, and in terms of like ranking the transfer windows, they've, they've spent a decent amount of money. Um, but you can see the sense in all the signings that they've made. Let's do an Andrew Lang and, and ask how would you line up their midfield against Liverpool? Would you have John McGinn with his sexy roulettes uh, and Ross Barkley and Grealish all together, or would that be madness? No, I think that's a bit too ambitious. I think Is it? when you're playing a team like Liverpool. It's very important you look after the ball. And Ross Barkley has many, many virtues, but he is a gentleman who does generate a lot of turnovers. A question from the back. Which are, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful fashion, which are Ross Barkley's virtues? Uh, Vertical progression. He is very good at ball carrying. He wants to get the ball from... uh, When he dribbles, he tends to dribble in straight lines. So he's very much, I'm going to get past you and blow back strength and whatnot. Uh, He's also not afraid to have a go and shoot the ball, which can be annoying sometimes. But uh, when you're at a team, when you're at a lower team, uh, that has virtue because you do get, you just generate a lot more shots and a lot more chances. Uh, he is a very good Aston Villa player to the point that when I saw that deal, I went, huh, that makes a lot of sense. More sense than when they signed Danny Drinkwater this time last year. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes Aston Villa do things that are very clarifying. <laughs> I, re- I really like Ross Barkley um, and hope that this move works out for him but he does have this maddening and unparalleled ability to very slightly overhit or underhit almost every pass he plays in attacking situations and it's curious that a player who's played as much football as he has still has that quite fundamental technical shortcoming um but yeah you obviously the Chelsea move didn't work out for him you hope that he he gets regular football at Villa and and if he does and he can put some performances together you know maybe he'll be um I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about him having made a definitive breakthrough with England. You know, he looked like mm. he was in, in the process of nailing down a position in that team. Obviously, that's no longer the case. But, um, you know, at the very least, he'll get regular football under his belt this season, which should do him good. I mean, 
he's also in that stage where he's still seen as a young player, but he's 27 in December. So this is kind of time for him to, to shine, really. If you know if this move doesn't work out, you wonder how it will work out. We're just going back to Tom's point on Martinez. Signing goalkeepers changes clubs. And I said at the time, I think that's going to be the signing of the season because he's really good. He's already saved a penalty. Um, I think he's going to be the difference in Villa struggling again and finishing comfortably in mid-table. Brilliant. Meanwhile, Liverpool... Also off to a perfect start. Three wins out of three after Monday's definitely not sloppy win over <laughs> Arsenal. I was slightly mystified that no one came to Roy Keane's defence because we'd all seen what Trent Alexander-Arnold did and it was sloppy, wasn't it? Or am I not understanding it? I think they're both right. So Roy yeah. Keane's point was Liverpool played sloppy but won the game. Uh, right. Klopp took umbrage at the use of the word sloppy and then went on a very, very good and detailed explanation as to why Liverpool play with uh, an innate sense of chaos and risk. Because when you are a team that dominant, when you're a team with so many means to attack, um, the sensible thing to do for any team that plays against Liverpool was to basically you know, just curl up into a ball uh, and hope they don't get beaten up too much. So Liverpool have to play with a sense of either fake sloppiness or real sloppiness in order to tease mm. an opponent onto them. Right. Uh, and I think the way Klopp explained that was really fun. Was Bellerin's throw-ins, were they fake sloppy or real sloppy? <laughs> it's very Sunday real. league. There's like in every single Sunday league squad, the length and breadth of the country, there's at least one player who has never learned how to take throw-ins properly and who will be coached by his teammates uh, at every game. I can't ever remember having seen Bellerin do foul throws before, but two in one game is pretty rare. Um, and then you had Nicola Pepe come on and take two of the worst corners that have ever been taken in football history. So it was quite the combo. Once the Lions has given one, he's going to be all over you for the rest of the game, isn't he? So it's almost inevitable that he was uh, going to be extremely strict. It's like memories of like, you know, under 15 matches where the same fullback takes about six foul throws. And between each one, he's like, I did I put my feet, my feet were on the floor. <laughs> I feel like um, Bellerin should untuck his shirt and lower his shorts a little bit. And I say just a little bit. It's not, it, it's just a little bit kind of. But he's no, only like started doing it since Kieran Tierney arrived and Tierney does oh, really? the same thing. It's quite sweet oh. in a way. It's like, oh, I like what he does with his shorts. I'm going to do the exact same thing. Villa beat Liverpool last season. Admittedly, it was that time when Liverpool were playing in the Club World Cup less than 24 hours later, so they sent the kids. But Villa did win that game against the senior Liverpool side at Villa Park. It's nine years since they last had a victory uh, that win back then actually came with a Stuart Downing goal. Uh, Kenny Douglas's Liverpool losing to Gary McAllister's Villa. Interesting. The past anyway, is another country. It certainly is, isn't it, Carl? But much like other other countries, you can't visit it. Um, also on perfect records uh, so far this season, Leicester and Everton. Neither has ever started a Premier League season with four wins from four. Leicester have never done it in any division in their history, but. Uh, They'll be facing West Ham, while Everton host Brighton. Leicester-West Ham. Uh, Leicester, of course, have already won one battle with the Hammers this week when they managed to sign Wesley Fofana from Saint-Étienne uh, in, in the face of West Ham's attempts to do same. What player are they getting, eh, Tom? So it looks like Leicester have agreed a fee, um, having had a couple of uh, initial bids rejected um, and... Quite an old school um, centre back in the sense that, despite the fact he's um, 
still a very young player. Uh, he's he's sort of a defender first, footballer second, um, which is quite unusual for for centre backs in his age bracket. Uh, very athletic, very aggressive. Likes to defend on the front foot. You know, likes to be right up behind uh, the opposition centre forward. A, a solid passer of the ball, not an exceptional passer of the ball. Likes to carry the ball forward and and, and moves quite quickly with the ball. Um, but yeah, quite a dynamic player. A real sort of all action. Um, sort of yeah, a bit of a throwback centre back. Um, and Saint Etienne, who obviously sold William Saliba, another promising young French centre back to Arsenal a year ago, were really desperate to hold on to him. Um, Claude Puel, who's in, in charge there, um, it, you know, saw him as this sort of vital element to the team he's trying to put together this season, and he personally, at least, was determined to hold on to him. But in the end, I, th- I think Leicester just offered um, an amount that uh, Saint Etienne couldn't refuse. Uh, Leicester and West Ham both coming off massive wins last weekend. Leicester winning at Man City. West Ham making us all look like fools with our predictions when they defeated Wolves in fine fashion. Are they going to cock a snoop at the form book at the King Power, eh, Duncan? Possibly. Um, I mean, the only thing you can say to kind of undermine Leicester a little bit is that five of their goals this season have come from penalties, which is right. as many as they've had in the last three seasons. Um, and obviously with the, with the slightly more lenient interpretation of, of penalties that's been uh, talked about this week, maybe that will impact them a bit. Well, yeah, because Pogmol, or at least it's been, it's been leaked out that Pogmol have been asked by the Premier League's clubs to, as we, as we mentioned, I think on, on Monday, to kind of apply the more liberal interpretation possible in, in the new coding so we should be seeing, do you think, less penalties for handball? Is that right? Theoretically. Yeah. OK, we'll, we'll, we'll see this weekend. The Premier mm. League is going to petition IFAB, apparently, which seems like a classic example of English exceptionalism. Well, like, yeah. very belatedly adopted an interpretation of the handball rule that all the other major leagues were already working by. We've already decided after three games of the season that no, it, it won't do for us. Um, I was going to make the same point, which is easy for me to say, but it's it's really annoying the way that three weeks in and, you know, everyone's like the game has gone and we're like, oh, well, let's just change it then. Mm. Um, and it's our it's our football associations that have decided on it. So It reminded me of a story I heard from the 2014 World Cup in Brazil when a bunch of English newspaper journalists arrived at the accreditation centre and there was a huge queue of journalists from all around the world waiting outside and it was raining as well lots of um, tension and annoyance uh, and apparently after about half an hour one member of the England pack walked all the way to the front of the queue and said in a very loud voice to the official at the front we are the English media and we have deadlines to hit I insist <laughs> that you give us our accreditation badges now and th- I think there is an element of that with this the Premier League deciding that it and it alone can force IFAB's hand on a rule that has already been in place for a year and that everyone else has been getting along with pretty well. Having said that, I, I do understand the, the grievances because that dire handball did feel like a bit but, of a but, but But people can never make a fuss about handball penalty ever again if this happens. You can't... I, I, think, it's, I think if there's a mistake that's been made, there seems to be a pretty broad consensus about the fact that the uh, interpretation is, is too tough and I know that other leagues have been working with broadly these rules for a year, but the rules were tweaked again this summer. 
I think it's absolutely fair that you say, no, actually, what you're learned, doing isn't footballers right. Learned, we saw it in the World Cup where there were loads of uh, VAR penalties for, for grappling in the box in the group stage. And by the knockout stages, the, all the players had realised, oh, I can't do that anymore. I won't do it. Yeah, but I, this I isn't grappling. This is people knocking the ball onto your arm without you really having much say in it. You'd rather keep things the way that they've been in, the, say, the last round of games? Yeah, because I I know for a fact that if they change it back, there's still right. going to be people complaining that they didn't get a handball in a few weeks when it should have been handball. So <laughs> there's always be people complaining, but this it's been egregious. I would say. Well, I like I, mean, I, I like penalties. I I, I, I like agree. Hard. I I agree that the handball rule needs changing. I just think it's there's just something amusing about you know this furore and the way that the Premier League but is going about. The, but it. they're not saying we're the Premier League change it for us they're saying to the rep they're not going to ifab as far as i know it's they're going to no, they pogba are and saying, they are they are going they to are. ifab are they the yeah. i thought they were just saying to yeah. pogba listen go easy lads because there is some gray area there that you can use but for your interpretation just to re- just to remind people ifab is 50 percent fifa and then the rest of the 50 percent is made up from the northern irish welsh scottish and english football association so it, it's just it doesn't sit right for me more penalties. I want, I want more penalties. It's not enough. My word. Uh, Everton are taking on Brighton, as we mentioned. Brighton have never won at Goodison Park, but they have outperformed their opponents in all their games so far. Is that fair, certainly in terms of XG, uh, despite only picking up one win? Uh, they could basically start the season with one win and three defeats out of four, very, very likely, and that would not be fair on them. Brighton have been one of the most progressive teams this season. You know, they've completely outplayed Manchester United at home. They've pretty much outplayed Chelsea at home. Um, they haven't got much to show for it. Um, and you do... It kind of happened a bit last season as well. You know, Graham Potter turned it around quite quickly at the start of last season, but then they still sort of sunk into a into relegation battle. So, yeah, I think they could pull off something against Everton, particularly if the injuries... Um, that happened in midweek for Everton. Right. Uh, you know, Richarlison and Alan don't don't recover. But at the same time, I, you know, it, I know a couple of Brighton fans, and they're they're broadly uh, broadly happy with the start of the season. Good. As you mentioned, two key injuries. Not sure how long term they'll be, but Richarlison, who went over on his ankle in a very nasty looking fashion. Carlo Ancelotti was actually quite upbeat on oh. Richarlison. Um, he said it was a twisted ankle, not so bad. He thinks Richarlison can actually recover for the Brighton game. Really? He's more worried about Allen um, right. and John Joe Kenny as well. Not that Kenny would, would probably have started that game, both of whom I think have uh, abductor muscle injuries. So it looks we, like Richarlison we, might be okay. We, we made the point about Everton bringing in James Rodriguez, but also someone like Allen to free him to do all the wonderful, sumptuous stuff that he does. Without Alan, does that mean that we're not going to see? We're not going to get our usual dose of Hammers love this weekend. What has occurred to me regarding Hammers Rodriguez is that when Everton signed him, I thought, what an exciting signing, but he is an exceptionally slow footballer and consequently this doesn't feel like an ideal fit. But then you realise watching him that there is nothing faster than a perfect first touch. You might not be the quickest player over 5, 10, 50, 100 yards, but if your first touch is literally perfect, there's no way of improving on that. And it's that that buys him the time that he needs to pick the passes he does and get the shots off that he does. I had a similar thought watching Juan Mata last night, actually, for United. It's just that you know, Mata's a little bit nippier than James Rodriguez, but he's not someone whose game has ever been based around pace. Yeah, I mean, if, if Alan is missing, I, I think that, that, that may uh, affect 
Hammers' uh, ability to to get on the ball a little bit, but from what I've seen from him so far, he you know he's adapted so quickly. You always you always worry a little bit when a player comes in from overseas and starts in this in this really impressive fashion. Whether at some point there'll there'll be an inevitable sort of sloping off, um, but yeah, so far super exciting and really encouraging. Uh, Don has a question for you. He says, "Who is this Dominic Calvert Lewin? And what happened to the old Dominic Calvert Lewin?" Uh, is he that good or is James Rodriguez just that good? Hey, it's an interesting thing. Richard Jolly actually pointing out on Twitter this week that Calvert-Lewin's the first player to score hat-tricks in consecutive home games under Carlo Ancelotti since Cristiano Ronaldo did it for Real Madrid in 2014. What's the common link between those two? James Rodriguez played in both games. Yeah, well, in all four games, yeah. But it's not all James Rodriguez, is it? Dominic Calvert-Lewin, is, he's been... Big dunked. He's been carloaded. He's he's looking good. He truly has. Sasha was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about how Carlo was turning Calvert Lewin into Pipo Inzaghi. And if you look at his mm. hat trick in the Carabao Cup, he is now just taking two or three touches. I think his first goal. Oh, his first one was was magnificent. Superb. He mm. was celebrating before the ball went in, and that's when you know a striker is truly confident. Where they seem to just unlock another level of skill because they know exactly where and how to put the ball where they need to put it. It reminds me of the first uh, season or two when Harry Kane first, you know, improved massively and everyone was like, hang on, is is Harry Kane, you know when they had the whole one season wonder, is it? And then it was the two season wonder. And then the, It feels like Calvert-Lewin's on the same kind of trajectory, really. Um, oh, really? Which is, which is massive. I think the only thing missing with Calvert-Lewin has been goals. Every time I've watched him, particularly in the flesh, he impresses you because he's such a complete player. You know, tall, quick, strong, he's technically good. He works really hard. I remember seeing him a game at uh, the Etihad right at the start of City's first title-winning season under Guardiola. Everton drew 1-1. Calvert-Lewin was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he looked unplayable. He didn't score. He made the goal that Everton scored. I think it was Rooney. Um, but you thought he looks to have everything that you want in the centre forward, except for goals. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, it's no. I mean, obviously he's not scored at this rate before, so it's striking. But it doesn't completely surprise me. Maybe he'll get a hat trick of hat tricks this weekend against Brighton. We shall see. Up next, we'll talk about the other games that are happening this weekend. There's some big ones. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Athletic. The next big thing. You know, there's nothing better than, I don't think, as a fan to see a lad coming on for his debut. And I love the way they can't even fill the shirt properly. It's an absolutely stunning goal! This season, we'll be drawing on the knowledge of our incredible football writers to give you the ultimate briefing on the stars of tomorrow. You know, people always question, you know, what, what is the plan for these young players? Our experts know these players better than anyone else. That's the thing with him. I mean, when he, he made his debut with the first team, I, I sort of said to him before the game, I have no worry about you. You know, I just I know uh, how confident you are in your own ability, but he hasn't got that overconfidence. It all starts on September the 28th with a full profile of Liverpool's Billy Cometio. Footballers now are getting so much criticism from all sections of society. They can't deal with it from the players they're meant to be playing with. They haven't got much of a chance, really. From what I hear, you know, he's, he's got a big personality and somebody who really believes in himself. That's the next big thing. The latest podcast from The Athletic.
You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Listener, it's been a busy pod so far. Here's the games we haven't talked about yet. Arsenal, Sheffield United, Wolves, Fulham, Saints, West Brom, Newcastle, Burnley and Chelsea Palace. Which would you like us to talk about next? Saints, West Brom. Interesting. All right, well, this is coming up at uh, 12 o'clock on Sunday. Last time West Brom visited St Mary's back in 2017, the game was decided by the goal of the season. Bufal breaks. He could win us the game. Does brilliantly. Goes past three players. Still going, Bufal. Looks for help. Bufal shot. Oh, my word. Yeah, Sofian Bufal going coast to coast. More than his brilliance, though, I think the key moment there is the two West Brom players crashing into each other and tumbling, earning this uh, goal a place in the pantheon of goals that make the opposition look really stupid. Uh, what other goals would you have in there, Tom Williams? Uh, I've got a couple of suggestions. Um, yeah. Angel Di Maria making Carlos Puyol do the splits um, in a Barcelona-Real Madrid game in 2013. I don't think Di Maria scored... Um, someone else did but that ah. was quite striking and also goal that Adel Tarat scored for QPR against Swansea in the Championship back in December 2010 where he nutmegs Joe Allen just outside the box and Joe Allen looks like the most nutmegged footballer who has ever been <laughs> nutmegged it's like Tarat took his soul um, so yeah those are my Damn, top two took his soul did you know that n- nutmeg's actually a, a potentially lethal substance yes is it there you go it explains yeah, a lot I was not aware of this do you know why we call it a nutmeg in England? Well, the opinion is divided, but go ahead, Carl. Uh, I was led to believe it was particularly expensive spice back in the day. So therefore, nutmeg traders would very often lace nutmeg with uh, dodgy supplies. So very much yeah. nutmeg traders being the original herb dealer. So it's all about swindling, which I think is quite interesting. Right. That they in stepped England. on the product, Carl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the... In the colloquial argot. Um, but let's have more of your, uh, uh, you know... Oh, uh, Kaka. looking stupid. Kaka, Kaka in the 2007 uh, Champions League semi-final first leg against Manchester United where he makes right. Patrice Evra and Gabriel yeah, Heinze yeah, yeah. just collide. Uh, it's fantastic. Of course you want to mention Messi and Boateng. Of course you want to have any goal involving Phil Jones, largely. Producer Charlie, actually, has uh, mentioned one from back in the day. Uh, Gigi Kazaragi much miss Gigi Kaziragi, uh, at Anfield, uh, causing Phil Babb to go crashing into the post groin first. Do you remember that, Duncan? Causing yeah. the entire country of men to wince Ooh, simultaneously. Well, if, if Brighton thought they had trouble with the woodwork last weekend, they ain't seen nothing because that, that was much more painful. There was also, was there was a, I can't remember the defender's name, but uh, Gareth Bale made a Rio Vallecano defender cry early on in his time at Real I thought Madrid. you were going to mention Mycon, but yeah. Yeah, he, he, not, he basically destroyed this defender for pace. It's on YouTube, and um, the defender gets substituted immediately, and is then covered up by his teammates on the bench because he's he's crying his eyes out. Really, that reminds Ooh, me of the that. story of um, of the Rome derby in which uh, Francesco Totti so tormented Lazio that and- Alessandro Nesta refused to come out for the second half. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, Southampton, West Brom. Hey, uh, Buffal is still at the club, but is yet to make a matchday squad this season. Carl? Uh, Buffal has been dining off that goal for a long time. Uh, the most oh. notable contribution he had last season was, I think he got a goal in the FA Cup. And then also he was injured for about three weeks because he stubbed his toe on a coffee table. Um, he's not that good for what Southampton need. Sorry. West Brom, this game very much not over till it's over because West Brom have got a terrible record in second halves. They conceded three goals in each of 
their second halves this season. That's a remarkable record. Something for Slavon Bilic to ponder on. Now, elsewhere this weekend, Chelsea are taking on Crystal Palace. This is the game that kicks off the weekend. Yes, Timo Werner has opened his account for the Blues. That happened midweek in the League Cup. But in other respects, it's been a bad week for Lampard and co. That draw against West Brom, followed by elimination from the Carabao Cup at the hands of Spurs. It's uh, the 1905 Classico, this game. Both clubs formed in that auspicious year. It's also the Chelsea third kit Classico. Yeah. <laughs> Although, having said that, having seen it for the first time on TV, the pink bits are much pinker than they looked when they yeah. announced the kit on Twitter. Yeah. So it, looks, it looks less like a Palace kit. It still looks not good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks pretty mm. bad. Well, look forward to watching that game and reporting on it in Monday's edition as we will Newcastle-Burnley. Oh, today, October the 1st, is is many things, listener. It's, I think it's the f- anniversary of Arsene Wenger's first day in charge of Arsenal, but it's also the 12-year anniversary of this. Hey, I wanted to have a f- 24-hour meeting with the entire staff. You could have Sunday. You don't no. six weeks. No. You could Sunday. No. No. no, I didn't want to do it. I had some other things to do. No, you're not f- What are you, my personal secretary? That's right, listener. Joe Kinnear's deeply, deeply NSFW press conference on his first day as Newcastle manager when he made Simon Bird famous. We've had Simon Bird on this show. He's a lovely mm. chap. He's one of the it nicest really... blokes going, Simon Bird, mm. as well, which just makes that story all the more incongruous. Right. If you want more of that kind of hardcore action, uh, make your way to The Athletic's brand-new podcast, Beyond the Headline. It's a three-part special on the Mike Ashley era at uh, Newcastle, and, of course, it features that. Was that day the beginning of the end for the proper football manager? Because... You know, on the rise out in Spain, Pep Guardiola at the start of his managerial career. And um, the the whole vibe to the Kinnear rant is, and he says at one point, you ain't got the balls to be a manager to these journalists. And it was, I don't know, that I th- it felt like that was the last real hurrah of the of the old school pin-upper journalist and or player against the dressing room wall. Burnley at Newcastle. They haven't won there in over 44 years. And they haven't picked up a point so far this season. Key game, that, for two teams are struggling. Arsenal will be facing Sheffield United Sunday at 2 o'clock. Hey, Sheffield United also very much in the struggling category. They've lost three out of three, haven't scored a goal yet. They did take four points off Arsenal last season, but this campaign feels a little bit different for Chris Wilder's team. Yeah, Tom mentioned earlier they they only scored 39 goals in in 38 games last season. And if you do as well as they did doing that, it's probably not sustainable. Um, Burnley kind of have made it a semi-sustainable Outlook, but yeah, I, I tipped Sheffield United to struggle for this season, and so far they're they're living up to that. Uh, shout out to listeners who complained that there wasn't enough talk about Leeds Sheffield United in Monday's show. Hopefully, the Blades give us plenty to talk about for our next edition. But right now, we'll touch on briefly Wolves against Fulham, who are similarly struggling a little bit with this new campaign, beaten three nil on Monday by Aston Villa. And I don't know if you spotted this, but Tony Khan, the Fulham's vice chairman, uh, apologising through social media for their performance and his own ability to sign any centre-backs. He says, uh, I apologise to supporters for our performance today. We've looked to add centre-backs since Wembley. I'm sorry we haven't got to, two got COVID and then we lost a free we thought was close. We had an issue with another fourth centre-back. I promise players in and better efforts from the squad. This is, I mean, it's not a morale boost for the likes of... <laughs> Dory Riemann. It's going to be the first time that a manager ever pins up something that his own chairman <laughs> has said on the dressing room wall. 
right. just in case Fulham's defenders need any more motivating. Broadly speaking, there seems to be a little bit of a sense that everyone's given up on Fulham already. Is that right? It's a bit harsh. They've got the biggest gap between XG conceded, which is 4.8, and actual goals conceded, which is 10. So, they, yeah, they haven't been great, but they've possibly been a little bit unlucky as well. So I, I, I've seen a few people say, oh, they're going to be the new derby. You know, that they're, they're going to get more than 11 points. I mean, I know that's not the most exciting prospect, but they, they will get more than 11 points. Not only are they underperforming in their XG for goals conceded, but they're also just bad like the underlying numbers are still bad uh mm. yeah I, I think this is season three of doing a fulham and they've found another way to do it and i think this is this is like reverse goldilocks they've still got two managers to get <laughs> through first <laughs> you sort of feel for fulham a bit in that by common consensus the mistake they made when they last came up was they bought too many players they spent too much money their squad was too chaotic and this mm. season they've done the exact opposite they've almost bought nobody and the squad's been very settled um, and in the first three matches at least they've been every bit as bad as they were last time if not worse so Rhyme. do have some sympathy for them On the way listener Duncan takes your brain to another dimension in flip reverse first though it's our pal Lee Price The Departed was hugely sociable had friends and admirers all over the world and spread joy and conversation wherever they went sadly because of the handball rule Football was dead, allegedly. R.I.P. Or, for the neutral, it's just become even more unpredictable. Not sure even I believe that. But we can at least anticipate another madcap Premier League weekend, including the clash between a manager who sits on a bucket versus another manager who probably do have a bucket for his leaky defence. Man City remain odds-on to beat Leeds, but it's also, quite rightly, odds-on that both teams score. Marcelo Bielsa's team are 6-1 to one to spring a shock, they're everybody's second team, according to pundits who can't engage with actual football fans and have impressed so far this season. So that could be interesting. Going from the sublime to the ridiculous, Jose Mourinho's latest return to Old Trafford comes with a sense of foreboding around both clubs. It's not quite winner takes all, but it does have an air of loser starts their crisis first. I don't know if anyone's mentioned it, but this will be Spurs' 400th game in the month. And that probably explains why we're outsiders here at 29 to 10. United are 20 to 23 to win it, with the draw 13 to 5. And finally, the champions go to Villa Park this weekend as the division's form team take on Liverpool. Villa are 12 to 5 to extend their incredible unbeaten run by either winning or drawing this. Liverpool are 3 to 10 to get the win, because they usually do. TTFM. Thank you, Lee. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording, it's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Duncan, Nathan McGill loves the way you work it and he'd like you to etc and so on to wit Hi chaps, any chance of a flip reverse where Fergie stays at United for another season, signing Alcantara as he claimed he had lined up. Moyes and Fellaini stay at Everton and Martinez remains at Wigan. Does he still go on to be Belgian manager? I mean, that's all to one side, but what about it, eh, Duncan? Yeah, so we're back in the summer of 2013. Um, Mm. Fergie stays on. He he recommends Thiago to himself, uh, so that deal goes through without many problems. Um, 
the key thing I think that season is Thiago in real life obviously signed for Bayern and then did his knee in that season. But he doesn't do his knee uh, in Manchester and helps United to the Champions League final. Um, they beat Madrid in the semis um, and they face Chelsea who beat Atletico. Um, and then Thiago basically masterclass in the Champions League final. Uh, Fergie gets revenge over Moo for 2003. Meanwhile... Fergie's deep state contacts tell him that 2014-15 is going to be Klopp's last season at Dortmund. So he agrees to do one more season at Old Trafford and then wait for Klopp to come in. And when he finally leaves in the summer, he actually speaks to the crowd in, uh, in German at Old Trafford and says, Ihre Aufgabe ist es jest sich hinter den neuen Manager zu stellen, which Google Translate, which Fergie also used, um, tells me is uh, your job now is to get behind the new manager. Um, meanwhile, Roberto Martinez resigns from Wigan when they go down in 2013, but he waits for the right job in the Premier League. He obviously doesn't get the Everton job. He eventually ends up at Villa or somewhere. The key change here is in summer 2014, Tottenham appoint David Moyes to replace Tim Sherwood. Um, and then that means Pochettino can leave Southampton and go to Everton. Moyes at Spurs brings Fellaini in summer 2014 and uses him in a kind of big man, medium man, feed off scraps, meat and drink combo with Roberto Soldado, which means that a young... Harry Kane doesn't get his breakthrough season at Spurs and he joins Pochettino at Everton, who then largely follow the Tottenham timeline in real life all the way through to the 2019 Champions League final, where this time they stunned Thiago and Jurgen Klopp's hugely successful Manchester United team to win Everton's first ever European Cup. And that's what wow, happens. Wow, Duncan. We're off the cuff. That's pretty, pretty well worked. Uh, lovely. And Nathan McGill, I hope you're happy with that vision, that chilling vision of how things might have turned out, had, etc., and so on. Just by the way, Carl, and really briefly, yay or nay, is that is that true that Alcantara was joining Man United? Yes, there have been two or three times where Manchester United have been really interested in him. Um, but now he's at Liverpool, and he's probably he going to help swing another title race. But won't be featuring this weekend because he's tested positive, unfortunately, for COVID. All right, talking of Europe... Bayern Munich beat Dortmund, as is their wont, in the German Super Cup on Wednesday. 3-2, that one. Bouncing back from their shock defeat. Well, in fact, both of them, of course, defeated in surprising terms at the weekend. As you'll know, if you were listening to Tuesday's European Totally Football Show Roundup. Wednesday night, a couple of key games in Serie A. Atalanta, who are very much back. You'll recall that at the weekend they got a 4-2 win away at Torino. This time they went to top four rivals Lazio and beat them 4-1. Have some of that, Simone Inzaghi. Bad midweek for managers named Inzaghi because Simone's big brother Pippo, with his Benevento side, got beaten 5-2 by Inter, who have now scored nine goals in the first two matches of their campaign. Uh, might want to watch out for them in the Champions League draw, which may already have happened by the time you hear this, listener, because it's Thursday evening. Oh, uh, tweets. Uh, we mentioned earlier on uh, the approach to alter a little bit or bring a bit of nuance to handball decisions. Harold Bjornsson says a simple solution for the handball problem, just award a corner for handball, unless it's blatantly deliberate like Suarez against Ghana, because the current punishment doesn't fit the crime. Is that the key? You know, rather than this kind of massive blow for something that might have been quite arbitrary, a touch of an arm on a on a ball, maybe it should be a little bit more, well, the punishment should be itself a bit more nuanced. What about the return of the indirect free kick inside the box? Right, well, that port boy 
yeah, Port Boy wants a direct free kick with the ball placed anywhere in the D at the top of the box. But is is that the future then? Make handball a non-penalty decision? I think you dramatically misinterpret why we give penalties away. To my mind, a penalty is because goal scoring is meant to be so hard, right? So a penalty is a goal scoring opportunity distilled. It's, you know, if you want to be Duncan, you call it 0.7 XG. Um, it is the idea of, right, you can't score a goal. You've wasted 20 minutes trying to score a goal. Here you go. You're 12 yards out. One shot. Go. It's not, bec- it's not because you should have got a goal. It's because you've tried so hard to try and get a goal. They're going to make it a little bit easier for you. People believe that handballs, uh, we give handballs because you are almost going to score a goal and therefore you should get a penalty for it. Whereas what actually handball is, is basically scoring goals is so hard. They've gone, ugh, just do it this way. Handballs are basically your mum doing your chores for you. Wow, Carl. You've given us a lot to think about there. Listeners, I know you'll have your own views. We'll be revisiting this topic soon enough, I'm sure. For now, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football show. Uh, We're back on Monday, of course, reacting to all the weekend's events and, of course, looking forward to the international football. Yay, that's back next week. Hurrah. Carl, thank you so much for being with us today. And Duncan and Tom Williams. And thank you, producer Charlie. And you too, listener. Have, everybody, a great weekend. And we'll see you Monday. For now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.